Today's show is sponsored by Money Insights and their Investment Optimizer Strategy. In my book, I share how I use the same strategy starting over a decade ago to invest my money in two places at one time. This strategy has been used by the wealthiest for generations for estate planning, minimizing taxes, preserving wealth, and increasing stability for their investments. Now you can do the same thing. In addition, you can build a plan to build an emergency fund, pay for college, fund a business, plan for retirement, and ultimately optimize your total financial picture. To find out more information, check us out at the banking link at nextlevelincome.com. On today's show, we have Matthew Stibba. Matthew is a serial entrepreneur, marketing maven, writer, pilot, and wine enthusiast. Not necessarily in that order. He created marketing strategies, content, and campaigns for clients, including Microsoft, Google, LinkedIn, and Hewlett-Packard, as well as contributing to Wired, Forbes, and Popular Science as a writer. Currently, he is CEO at Articulate Marketing, a UK marketing agency specializing in the technology sector. Also, his geek credentials are strong, which we love here on the Next Level Income Show. Previously, he was founder and CEO at Intelligent Games, a 70-person computer games company where he designed games for Lego and produced two games based on Dune. Welcome to the Next Level Income Show, where it's our goal to raise your income, investments, and life to the next level with your host, Chris Larson. Get your free copy of his book at nextlevelincome.com forward slash book. Also, if you're an accredited investor, check out the invest link to learn how to gain access to institutional quality real estate opportunities. Matthew, welcome to the show. Hey, great to be here, Chris. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so I love having guests on that are not from the United States, that are, that are somewhere else in the world. And I don't know if we should should let the audience guess where you are, Matthew, or, you know, maybe they can take, can take a, take some hints from your, um, uh, your, your clocks on the wall and your accent. Um, but why don't you, why don't we spill it? Why don't you share where you're coming to us from today? And, um, also I'd love to hear a little bit more about your background. Well, I'm coming to you from sunny West London. Um, as you can tell from my accent, I'm, uh, English, um, by upbringing, but actually mostly by heritage. Um, and I, I, it's very warm over here right now. We're having a bit of a heat wave. So, um, I, but when I'm not being warm and talking to lovely podcast hosts, I run a marketing agency called Articulate Marketing, but I have other things, uh, that I have done a computer games company, um, for more than 10 years. Um, I have a commercial pilot's license, um, and I fly, flew a lot. I'm a big fan. Lego. I used to design Lego computer games, in fact. And I've really, oh my, Lego is just oh my gosh, I'm, oh, I, I got to go grab my younger son. I, I should bring him. <laughs> oh, he would. And, he and would this side is out. all my, all my old computer. Oh, check computers, that out. Right? Yeah. That so cool. I'm my, I'm, I'm, I'm really a bit of a geek. And it's funny, you should ask me, you, you know, you very uh, correctly assumed that I'm in England. Um, but uh, the funny thing was when I was doing my commercial license because I have a US and FAA license they made me do a test to check if I could speak English and I, I've got a degree in history from Oxford you know I kind of grew up in in, in England um, no no you've got to do a test you're not from the USA so I'm, I'm, I'm fully authenticated as an English speaker by the US government there we, <laughs> that's you know what there is nothing more bureaucratic than something like that, right? That, um, that definitely. Well, yeah, I, I just left the meeting this morning. So uh, I coached my son's cycling team. And I've, uh, 
I've, I've raced bikes on and off for 30 years and to be a coach, I had to get certified in, um, on the bike skills after, after having had nearly three decades of, of race experience. So just to, um, yeah, I had to, I had to be certified that I could ride a bike, even though I've, I've been riding since I was, uh, since for 40 years, but yeah, it's, it's funny. Um, but uh, I think that the, the uh, audience is more interested in hearing a little bit more about what you're doing today. I'm really, I, I'd like to go back in time. So um, you're the gaming um, company that you had, you sold that, you, you sold that right to another uh, gaming company. I, I sold it to my management team in yeah. 2000 after um, starting it in my bedroom at aged 80 um, and wow. when I sold it there were 72 73 people um, so uh, yeah I, I was uh, a young entrepreneur and, and and went on to do other things afterwards um, yeah. and that that was a, a, a learning curve a bit of a baptism fire sometimes as well I wish I knew then what I know now yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I'm one of my passions is helping teach young people about not only investing, but also entrepreneurship. And I think it's so valuable. It's something we don't do a good enough job in, in school. And you said you started, you started a company at 18. Um, how, so, like kind of, and how long did you run that for Matthew? Well, I, I, I was, I, I, 12 years but I was I did a I the first few years I was at university as well so it 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 started being a business with employees the after I left university which was 91 um so it's about nine years 10 years with employees and you know starting small and then going um but I I designed when I was at university I designed a game that was eventually published by Electronic Arts it was a space strategy game and I designed a game um, for another company um, uh, about the Vietnam War, sort of a war game, political oh, wow. simulator. I was interested in playing games and designing games. And, um, you know, that's how I got my got myself through university, I suppose. Um, and, and after I left, I interviewed with, you know, I did what we call in England the milk round. So I went and interviewed with all the banks and the management consultancies. Most of them didn't want to have anything to do with me. I was too weird. Some <laughs> of them offered me a job. And, and I was like, do I go and work for this management consultancy or do I just go carry on with the computer games? And yeah, I, 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 I went down the entrepreneurial route and I, I, I don't regret that at all. I'm <laughs> very much, um, uh, one of the kind of I'd rather I'd rather reign in hell than serve in heaven, uh, as Milton put it, um, because I, for me it's very important to have autonomy and to have some control over my environment and and sort of make something and build something. But my my, my thinking about running a business and and kind of the ambition for it has sort of evolved a little bit. I think I'm I'm also interested now in kind of what impact my business has on the environment on it, communities I work with on clients and the, the supply chains that there's a little bit more it sounds a bit woolly and a bit do-goody and I don't mean it to be but there's a little bit more sort of conscience about about it yeah. that has value for me now as well as just sort of building a business and making some money which is also important which is yeah. also important I love John Mackey who founded Whole Foods he talks about conscious capitalism and his belief is you can do it both. Like you can do both. You can do good and you can make money. And, you know, that's what, um, it's a great book. I read it, you know, several years ago. I think, um, 
I yeah. think the two things are interrelated, actually. I think I think purpose is very important for business. Yeah. I think it's really valuable for uh, owners, managers, entrepreneurs, and employees to feel like they're working for a company that has something in mind when they're doing it, some intent, some value. I mean, if, if we were only doing things for the money, we'd all end up being pimps and drug dealers, right? That's, you know, if you didn't have a conscience and no ethics at the one end of the extreme, you know, you were, or, or, or maybe work on wall street or politics. <laughs> I, 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 yes, I would, you know, there, there are definitely, there's a spectrum that starts, you know, over there and works its way along. And I, I, I you know, I, 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 gosh, this all sounds terribly do goody good, but it, it, it I think it's important to have some direct, and I, th- I think I think that businesses that genuinely have that and enlist the support and encouragement and engagement of their staff and their managers align around a, a direction that they believe in, I think they do better. I, I agree. And Simon Sinek talks about that. And I'd love to, this is a great segue. Um, you know, the why, like what's the why behind what Start you do? Why, do yeah. people believe in that? Um, and a big reason why I wanted to have you on, Matthew, is because, you know, an entre- I think an entrepreneur that then goes on to have a company handles affairs a little differently than somebody who's always been in the corporate world. Um, so, you know, I'd love to hear, like, why did you decide to sell that company? And, you know, w- what's been the evolution between that point in time and where you are today? Well, yes, the, 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 the sale of Intelligent Games is a story. Um, certainly at that time, I really enjoyed making, designing, playing computer games when I was, you know, that was the thing that made me start it. Yeah. And suddenly, or it probably snuck up on me in the way that a pot of boiling water sneaks up on a lobster, that actually I wasn't doing the fun things that I wanted to do. I was talking to lawyers and accountants and negotiating contracts and having difficult HR conversations and recruiting people and, you know, writing business plans and looking at spreadsheets a lot. I was like, okay, unless unless your idea of a fun real-time strategy game is, you know, video game, sim video game company, that wasn't fun. I mean, it's funny, there are computer games now where you run a video game company, but that's another story. For me, really? like, why would I ever? I would that, not that buy was that. 10 years of my <laughs> life. Um, but, you know, so I, I, I kind of, the, the, I, 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 at that time, I was not a, a very experienced manager and I didn't, you know, I was struggling with it a little bit I was you know I wasn't necessarily mature enough or experienced enough at that stage to run Mm. a 70 person company and and I hadn't quite got the kind of ability to go and what I'm what I've been doing the last 10 years or so is mentors and coaching and training and learning and, and, and and reflecting on it um so I wasn't having fun it was I was beginning to feel a little bit like a bottleneck and a valve to progress um and at, at one point, one of our clients came along and almost bought us. And it just fell through at the last minute for various reasons outside our control. And, and, and once colleagues realized that, they, that I was actually always a bit frustrated and they wanted to take over and run the business and they thought oh. this deal, they, they said, look, Matthew, do you want we'll buy you out. You, you go do whatever it is you want to do and we'll carry on running the business. And it was, it was a, it was a good outcome in the sense that everybody got what they wanted. Yeah. I tell you something, I, I sold the business and I walked out of the office having signed, you know, sheaves and sheaves of paper. Yeah. And I had no idea what I wanted to 
But I did know I didn't want to employ anyone else again when I've broken that rule. And I did know I never wanted to have another office again. And I have kept that. I, we've always been oh. at, at my marketing agency now. We've always been remote working. So, I, you know, it, it was a it was an it was probably a decision against what I was doing rather than for something else. I think that journey of running a games company had sort of run its course for me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I, I, I mean, I, as, go ahead. Sorry, it reminds me, as a, a, a very wise friend of mine said, um, it's never too to have another happy childhood. And by extension, the job you're in or the company you started or the career path you started going down, that is not a lifelong commitment. You can change your mind. You can do yeah. something else. Life yeah. is a long time. You can do different things. I love, wow. You know, I, I want to pause on that because... Um, there's, there's a, a book, um, it's called my plan to live, I think it's to live to 152. And I'm, I may be messing up the, uh, the number there, but it's by Dan Sullivan who founded strategic coach. And he basically has, you know, he says, Hey, you know, technology is going to change. I don't know what it's going to look like, but he's in his seventies right now. He's like, I'm going to live basically another 75 plus years, 75, 80 years. And it's a mind, it's a mind exercise where you say, well, wait a minute, what kind of impact would I have if I lived, say, 20 or 50 years longer than I think I'm going to live? Because a lot of people think, hey, I'll live to 80, maybe 100. What if you lived to 120? What if you lived to 150? How, how would you live your life differently? Mm -hmm. And I think it goes into play. And this is why I really, people say, oh, Chris, you retired. And I, I always say, no, no, no. I, I use air quotes if, if you're listening. Um, I retired because I don't like that word. You know, I, I've kind of changed, you know, turn the page in the chapter of my life. And I think, you know, a lot of people go and they, they choose a profession that makes sense for them for a certain reason at that point in their lives. But as they evolve, and especially, you know, if you're 18 or 20 or 25 years old, and now you're, you know, like I am in your mid forties, and you have a couple of children, your values change, your, your desires change. And, you know, if you have the freedom financially to do different things, then you get to choose those things. And I think a lot of people would choose to continue to work and have an impact in this world if they had the freedom to do it. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, but here's an interesting uh, life experience for me was, yeah. I, as I said, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Yeah. And I came out of that and I tried or I thought about and I explored all kinds of different things. Um, and about how long? Like how, oh, how well, long was this period? about two three years I was a bit okay. of a dilettante a at different things and I you know I had I mean I was lucky because I had a little bit of a financial cushion that allowed me to try stuff yeah but here's the thing I did not know at the beginning what I wanted to do I didn't know I was going to start a marketing company I didn't know I was going to find a career as a writer but I started writing for a magazine just uh, somebody that I had I knew and I wrote a, and I loved it loved it and I just that ability to just what, what was what did it Mao said it I think let a thousand flowers bloom and just some allow mm. allow experimentation try a few things I mean even if you're in yeah. a job you can write a blog in the evening you, you know um, um, or write music or whatever it is that's gonna is gonna do it for you you I, I think I think it's not just a case of being stuck in a job it's also just stuck in a mindset where you just do one thing um anyway so my journey was 
through writing. And I, I wrote for some magazines and then I started writing a bit for Wired and I started writing for Popular Science and these American magazines. And I got my pilot's license. So I thought, I know what, I will write reviews of business because that sounds like fun, right? And so I, I wrote, I don't know, a couple of dozen of those for various magazines. And that, that was quite fun. And anyway, I ended up uh, bumping into some people from uh, the UK government. The, De the Design Council was a, a government body at that time. It's now independent. And, and I bumped into some people from Microsoft and they both separately hired me as a writer. And I thought, it's much nicer writing for companies because they really appreciate what I do they're really you know and they pay a lot more than magazines and I, I'm mm. very curious about business I like business I have some business experience and suddenly I stopped being a freelance writer journalist and I started being effectively a marketing copywriter and that was around 2002 wow. 2003 that's where articulate marketing came from my first my first clients were Microsoft and the government's design council so not not a bad start I, I think there's a bit of serendipity and luck in that Wow. And I think it's, it's fairly unique because coming out of an engineering program, writing usually isn't a technologist or an engineer's strong suit. Um, but you, that didn't seem to hold you back. Well, it, 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 hmm. it, there are some extraordinarily good writers who are also engineers or vice yeah. versa. Right. Michael right. Collins, who went round the moon when Neil Armstrong went down and landed on the moon, his oh, book... Yeah his autobiography, he wrote it, he didn't ghost it. And it's really well written. So, you know, there are, he's a, an example of that. Yeah. Um, I, I sometimes make this observation that almost everybody can write, but not everybody is a writer. But oh. writing, combination of two things, there's a, a series, a set of technical writing skills. You yep. have to actually learn about controlling suspense and, you know, sentence structure and article structure and interview techniques, a whole bunch of practical things that probably I could teach somebody in a couple of weeks and they could refine to a certain level in a couple of months, right? There's that. And then there's the sort of the passion, commitment, interest and curiosity in the world and the kind of the, the energy that you need to face the blank page and fill it with words that are interesting, right? And there, there's, yeah. a, there's a sort of, you need to find a well for that, whether you're writing a novel or nonfiction or magazine articles or marketing copy. Um, yeah. If you've got both of those things, you're a writer. Yeah. If you, you know, writing an email for your work, that's not being a writer, that is just writing. There we go. That, I like that. That's a great definition. Um, so, now you help other technology companies with marketing. Is it is it mainly through writing, or how's how's the interplay? How's that evolved over time now? Because, and are you are you still working for other companies, or are you freelance now again? Um, so I run Articulate Marketing. We're yeah. eighteen people, so have another business. Um, yeah. At the Whoops. heart of what, <laughs> heart of what we do is copywriting, which is coming from my heritage and experience and passion for that but we've added website design and development we've added marketing automation we've added sales enablement we've added various strategy and consulting elements so that we can do quite a lot of marketing things for clients and we work for dell technologies at the high end large companies all wow. the way down our smallest client has three people in it but they're, okay. they're super ambitious um, so you know we we and we mainly work in the b2b technology space 
it's the area, a geek area of interest for me throughout <laughs> my life. So I'm, I'm writing for software and technology companies, um, except these days I'm not writing so much. I'm well, talking to lawyers, accountants, and looking at spreadsheets again, but I'm enjoying oh it this time. Oh, there you go. I like that. Um, so it's, it's interesting because you've always been fully virtual with your company, Articulate Market now. Um, and this is something that has rapidly gained uh, momentum here during COVID. What, what have you learned? And you know, what, what can you kind of advise other companies that are struggling with this process right now, Matthew? Yeah, I, I, I like to say we were doing remote working before it was fashionable, but <laughs> so, um, well, we, we, we went through that COVID home working thing without breaking a stride because we were sure. used to it. But one yeah. of the things that COVID took away from us for a, a couple of years, and we're just now starting to plan again, is company meetings. So one of the things that we mm. thought was very important for remote working is that we bring people together regularly and build those social connections and, and, and you know, out of work relationships and just sort of see people and put some put some in into the into yeah. the bank account of trust and relationships right makes a big difference. Know, you, and this you, is this is in person yeah we so before covid we yeah. were meeting four five six times a year for a couple of days a time and we'd we pay for everyone everyone's trips we put them up in hotels we fly them in we used to do it in Berlin and london and places all over all, all over cool. so that doing that is quite important i think and we we're looking forward to getting back to that um, what else have I learned about working remotely? Well, fundamentally, um, you need to be a good manager whether you're working remotely or not, right? So, you know, it's yeah. everything that you do to be a good manager in an office, you have to do a little bit better as a remote worker. Um, I, I remember that lovely story about Ginger Rogers and Fred Astaire. She said once in an interview, I did everything um, Fred did, but I did it backwards and in heels, right? <laughs> so remote working is a bit like working in a real office, but backwards and in heels, um, just a little bit more effort, a little bit for mindfulness, a little bit more consciousness about what we're doing about the communication style. Yeah. Um, we, we think it's really important to measure um, output and results rather than input. So we don't do timesheets, well, yeah. for example, and that would be a really easy thing to, for, you know, I think most people's first reaction to remote working is, okay, I want you to keep sheets you tell me exactly how long it everything took and that's not really that doesn't really work because it, it, it there are lots of reasons I could bore for England yeah. about why timesheets are off um it's also I think very important to pay attention to culture um yeah. and so we have for example we're an 18 person company but we have happiness officer and her job is morale and really engagement and, uh, kind of uh, a little bit of pastoral care, you know, that's a real commitment. You feed her like caffeine and antidepressants or I'm joking. I'm joking. So like, she... well, part, part, part of her job is to send people birthday presents and Christmas. Oh, I presents. Love it. And I, I, yeah. You don't have to have alcohol at articulate, but if you are open to having alcohol, you will probably get a bottle of wine twice a year from, from Liz. So, um, or something for a little while we used to, we were producing our own gin. Um, oh, so we we um, my went summer favorite. To, yeah, we went off to the Cambridge Distillery and sat down with Will there, who's the head distiller, and we invented, we created our own gin, and then he would yeah. batch it up and it. But yeah, so we, we that the writer's gin was a thing for a few years. Anyway, so cool. just paying attention to this yeah. kind of thing is quite important. Um, and the B Corp thing is very important for us. It's another way of um, 
measuring and testing and validating and committing to our values. And that that helps, I think, just to make people feel like they belong and make sure they feel like they're aligned and engaged with the business. Yeah, um, let's let's dive into that for a moment here, because for for listeners who don't know what a B Corporation is, you're a certified B Corp. Um, explain that a little bit for the audience, please. Sure. So B Corp movement and a kind of a register of certified businesses and it's a an an audited objective standard for companies commitment to the environment to their stakeholders their communities their people and it's about business as a fourth good but the key word there is business we know we're still here to make money right but we're trying to do it in a a provably, monstrably, well-run, respectful, ethical, if I can use, I'm using air quotes now for people listening at home, ethical way. I, I don't mean ethical in the sense of ironic, but- We didn't it, wink. You didn't wink we, for uh, people. We, we, uh, yeah, you, you used air quotes, but you didn't wink, so. The, the, <laughs> the point being it, it, that there's a there's an awful, awful lot of, of uh, freight with the idea of ethical business. And what B Corp does is it makes all of that very practical. There's a, there's a very long audited checklist of things that they would like you to do that you can do to prove that you are a B Corp. So for example, um, the, the, the rate relationship or the ratio between the most highly paid people in the company and the lowest paid people in the company. And you get some points if it's a narrow ratio and you lose some points if it's a big ratio there are so each of these things is scored and you complete this assessment and by the way you can anyone can go and do their business for free on the b corp website you get a score when we started the certification process we were scoring about 30 35 and the threshold for being uh, it's no, it's, it's, okay. it's, it's on a, there's a 140, 150 is the upper limit at the moment. I think. Gotcha. The cert, the threshold for certification at that time, it was 70. So we, okay. we knew we had to do some work to get to the certification threshold and you can get that, that certification from different things. But once you've got that, what it gives you also is this incredible roadmap of we do this and this and this, and it's like a project for making the business more, practically well run more respectful more environmental and i and i think it's that practicality that's very valuable yeah well no and i think you know it's uh i like the saying what's measured matters and if you're measuring it you show that it matters and man i really love um the results-based uh management style yeah look i was in I was in sales for most of my career. So, you know, I would, no one ever asked me how much I worked, although I did have one manager and one of my coworkers said, why don't you just follow them around for a day and see if you can keep up? And that was the end of that conversation. Um, but Matthew, how do you... you know, great believers you... in OKRs, for example, for on, along those lines. Sorry, you were going to ask me a question. I interrupted. Oh, no, no. I've, no, go ahead. Would Say that one more time. Oh, well, so we, we like a lot of companies, use OKRs. Okay. But amongst our company objectives, our core objectives, we have the goal of becoming net zero, and we're progressing towards that in various ways. We currently offset our CO2 emissions. We have objectives around um, supporting communities and and various allyships. So, you know, we're putting these objectives actually in the same mechanisms as our sales targets, as our customer retention targets and things like that. Yeah, I think that's great. How is a leader, especially in a virtual organization, do you really kind of you know, filter these ideas down or, or disseminate these ideas down to your employees? 
Yeah. Yeah. I'm very wary of the danger of cynicism, right? I mean, there's nothing more dispiriting than a corporate boss standing and going, we are going to be good. You know, Google saying, don't be evil. Because it opens you up to any time that you do something somebody disagrees with, they go, well, you said you were going to be... Um, I, I, for us, I think one of the things that's been very pleasing about the becoming a B Corp and then progressively improving our score and working on those issues in the way we've involved the staff. So we, we have working groups within the company at the moment, focusing a lot on the net zero work and some other things that we, we, we're prioritizing and, and, and engaging them in the decision-making, engaging them in the project, making them part of that. I think that's, that's, that you you uh, in, enlist their support i yeah. think if, you, if it's if, if b corp is a top-down tick boxing exercise kind of have failed from the start yeah no i i think uh again going back to simon sinek like especially with you know this generation um you know i think these things make a big difference what what are some of your advice to companies that are having a hard time finding and retaining talent because it's we're you know we're having i mean one of my coaching clients they're they're just struggling to find you know kind of lower end um you know 15 20 an hour type employees but i had the same issues when i was hiring people that were making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year yeah and i feel that pain we're recruiting right now for two roles and you know Mm. historically we would put up an advert for a marketing copywriter and we'd get six seven hundred applications we're a little company for us being a remote working company in the old days was a real differentiator right but now yeah not so much um and of course we're dealing with this very volatile and uncertain economy and we're dealing with the great resignation if if that if that really is a thing there's a lot of going on in the world that is affecting that for my part the things that we're trying to do to rectify this um we're putting work into our um employer branding um so for example on our website we're adding more about what to work here what our benefits and kind of what the the things that we do that are interesting to try and surface some of these stories rather than just like we're a nice company work for us um We've we've been working. We we hired last year um, a very experienced CFO who had come out of a large corporate environment, and she brought a lot of I would call sort of rigor and precision to. She took on, took on the HR role, as well as the final role, to, to to all our sort of HR processes. So bonuses, appraisals, yeah. recruitment, job descriptions, intranet, all that stuff. Um, and we've just hired now uh, for one or two days a week an HR consultant to help us with specifically with recruitment and the branding. So it, it has become progressively sharper and sharper in focus. And, and I, I, I guess as it becomes harder, it becomes something that you have to invest more in. That's our, that's my experience. And generally in 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 business, I find if you want something done, if you kind of make it somebody's job it and then you measure their progress on it and then you have work with them to develop the initiatives and discover best practice especially if you can get experts in that's the way to do it uh i I have to tell you i don't have all the answers on this i thought we had it nailed and then suddenly we're in the same boat as everybody else and we're working quite hard to recruit right now yeah i mean it's i think you know talent is it's it's such it's such a challenging um thing to find and do that and you have to always be be working at it. 
Well, but like you, I suspect I've, I've worked, I've run businesses through, you know, up business cycles and down business cycles. And I, you know, the dot-com crash and the 2008 financial crisis. And I remember hiring programmers for my games company in the nineties and there was a, you know, economic crisis back then. And it was, yeah. it was Same really amount, easy yeah. for a couple of years and then it was really difficult and then it was really easy and then it was really difficult. You know, yeah. the, the market and the economy are, are, uh, one of my uh, friends gave me this very good advice. Um, he said, you know, there are lots of things that you have in your control, right? And there's lots of things you don't have in your control. I have no control over, for example, this awful war in Ukraine. I can't make it stop. I can't do it. I have no control over my stupid government and who is and isn't prime minister, right? I can't do anything about that. I can't really do anything about the economy or coronavirus, except perhaps protect myself, my family and my colleagues. So I, I have to work with what I've got in my control and control kind of also spend my psychic energy on things that I can control and not worry too much about what I can't. So great. So great. My coach says, control what you can, cope with what you can't and concentrate on what matters. And I love that. Yeah. Love that. Um, so before we wrap up, I got to ask you something. So I've been hearing a lot about the metaverse. Okay. So we do a lot of real estate, real estate investments, and people are starting to talk about, Hey, we can buy real estate in the metaverse from somebody that used to design video games, Matthew, I'd love to hear if you have any, any perspective or opinion on, on the metaverse in the future, as we kind of start to blend the real world with the digital. Oh, okay. Wow. Um, that's, Should we do a whole nother podcast on that? Yeah. I, I, well, okay. I, I have a couple of thoughts and I, give me, I am starting from quite a cynical place about this, right? Yeah. It doesn't, I mean, I, I've read Snow Crash and I've read, um, you know, books about Snow Crash being in, 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 in virtual realities. And, you know, when we were working with Lego back in the 90s, yeah. had they were doing a lot of you know, early stage virtual reality and they had all the craze of those silicon graphics machines and vr goggles went way before anyone else wow. it, it's always it's a bit like ai it's always five to ten years away from being you know universal right well maybe there's some ai that isn't universal and google uh, so i'm, I'm you work with google yeah i mean you can you can speech recognition is you know commonplace now and it wasn't 10 years ago but uh I, I, so I am skeptical when people tell me we're all going to be wearing AR glasses and VR glasses where, you know, it, it's not yet, it may well come. So that's the first thing. So, you know, there's a hype cycle and don't believe the hype in my opinion. Second thing, um, I would not, I think anyone who is selling you, selling you real estate in the metaverse is selling snake oil, right? Because the cost to create more real estate in the metaverse is zero. Right. So what value does it have? Um, and we've been through this. I, you know, I'm old enough to remember Second Life and all the hype about that. Companies buying, you know, slices of Second Life. Well, where is that now? And I remember giving some, some advice to a client who was like, we're going to set up a, a, a place in the, meta, in the Second Life. and We're going to do this and this. And this. Don't, don't do it. It won't be here next year. And, you know, luckily they didn't. And it wasn't. So. I, I, would be, I would be a fast follower in the metaverse. I wouldn't be a, 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 an early adopter. That's, and that's maybe just being cynical. 
Yeah. Well, that's, that's a, I like that perspective. Um, but I'm a little biased. we got a lot of real estate, so it's, it's real and it's here. Um, but, uh, it is, it is fascinating to think like what the future may bring there. Um, before we wrap up, uh, I don't think I mentioned this, um, in the intro here, but you have, um, you also have, and you're, you're really a Renaissance man. Um, let's see if, if the audience can believe this. You also have an advanced wine diploma as well. On top of your commercial pilot's license, and all this other uh, stuff. Yeah, I, I don't mix the two hobbies, right? That's not. I was going to ask about that. Yeah. yeah, what's your favorite wine to drink while flying? <laughs> I, I like a nice Pinot but, Noir when I'm coming in to land at Heathrow. Um, I, I yeah. So I, if you've seen that film Som, where they've yeah, been yeah. constantly tasting, 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 um, I did. That's a master sommelier exam, and yeah, yeah. there's in the UK that's a master of wine. I did the one below that, it took me two and a half years of study. Very I cool. was doing all the tastings and everything that you see in that film. Um, I reckon between me and my wife, when we were doing because we, we both did it together. This, this oh, that's course, fun, yeah. We, we ended up tasting professionally, meaning notes and kind of calibrating yeah. more than a thousand wines over two, two and a half years for this course. Um, so now I'm back to being an amateur wine drinker. <laughs> um, but I, I, the only, the only, the only benefit of all of this study, uh, apart from the pleasure of doing it, is one, I have much more expensive tasting wine than I used to, which <laughs> costs me money. And two, whenever I go to a restaurant, people always hand me the wine list. It's not bad. Yeah, I'm the same way with whiskey and bourbon. It's like the more I, the more I learn, the more I drink, the more expensive my, uh, my hobby gets. And um, it's a slippery slope. Yeah. yeah. My favorite pappies is the 23, and I, I blindly I take. I was like, oh, that's a bummer. Um, well, hey, let me see. So, what is your favorite wine for the value right now? <sighs> well, we're gonna end with this. Yeah. Little okay. nugget for the audience. This is this is uh, I'm going to get a little bit on my horse, right? Go I, for it. I, I'm going to go I and buy think, it right after this before I publish the episode. Too. Well, okay, I'll give you a specific <laughs> wine recommendation. But I'll give yeah. you a general thing. I think French wine is significantly overpriced and overvalued and overesteemed. You pay two or three times the price for a good French wine than for an equivalent. So I, if a collectible, you know, Van de Garde kind of library wines. I'm really interested in really good Barolos. I'm really interested in uh, Amarones and I'm really interested in like Italian, uh, sorry, in Spanish, like Vega Sicilia or something like that. So these really, you know, Grand Cru, yeah. non-French wines. So yeah, yeah. that, I think that's where I would go. So Vega Sicilia Unico would be, would be my higher but I think where, where there is real value right now, and this is probably a little bit distant for your American listeners, my, my wife is Romanian. I have been to Romania. Wow. I love the Romanian wine scene. There's a producer wow. there called Aurelia Vishinescu who produces really good French-inspired wine in Diare. And her Pinot is fantastic, her, uh, all her international varieties. But she has also the, the Romanian classic grape, uh, for Tasca Nagra, she makes a wine uh, called Tre Feta Negra um, out of that, and it's phenomenal. It's, and wow. it's 20, 25 pounds a bottle. If you see it anywhere, grab it. But I'm going to give you one last tip on wine, because I'm, yeah. I'm a big fan of Romanian wine. But if your Romanian wine has Dracula on the label, don't buy it. It's for tourists. <laughs> I love it. Oh man, this is uh, yeah. That's that's a nice little nugget here. Is um, 
we, we build out our, our wine cellar here. And I really thank you for that. Cause that's my, my favorite is finding like a good bottle of bourbon for less than 50 bucks that you don't feel guilty drinking, you know, but you I can also some keep of that, a shelf. Um, widow, yeah. something widows from Brooklyn. Bourbon. Black widow. Or um, Widow Jane, Widow Jane. Widow Jane. Yeah. I had some yep. um, uh, over the weekend. I just got it. I thought that was fantastic. Yeah. The Widow Jane 10 year is great. Yeah. My, uh, one of my best friends gave me a bottle. Um, yeah. It's, it's fantastic. It's yeah. And it's, it's 60 or $70 a bottle now. Um, but it's uh, yeah, it's, um, oh, I'll have to, uh, maybe I'll, I'll shoot you an email with a couple of my favorite suggestions currently and we can we can trade suggestions matthew but um uh again we, we're probably gonna have to have you back on here because i feel like we can continue this conversation unfortunately we're out of time as we uh as we look at your uh your back wall there um matthew thank you so much for sharing all your wisdom your knowledge with our audience today it's been my pleasure chris thank you so much for having me absolutely hey chris here again i hope you found this episode valuable now I have one more thing to gift you. We have a page for my coaching clients where you can get a free copy of my book, as well as much more from previous guests on the show. Just check out nextlevelincome.com slash coaching to get a free copy of my book, audiobook, and much more. I'll send you a copy of my book and cover all the shipping costs as a thank you for listening to the podcast. Also, please like, share, and take just 90 seconds to give us a rating on Apple Podcasts.